Amen. Thank you, Brother David, for that. With, because of God, we have missed out on some things that we should be happy we've missed out on. We're going to be looking at John chapter 10 tonight. Let's get our Bibles out, John chapter 10. Before we stand, I want to wish a happy birthday to our sound man, Brother Terrence, back there. 18 years old. He went to bed a boy and woke up a man. But uh, happy birthday, Terrence. Let's all stand together. John chapter 10. Tonight is the doctrine of eternal security. How to be sure you have it, how to be sure you understand you are saved, you are forever a child of God. And uh, we look here, and one of our passages of the night tonight will probably be the most I will ever have you turn as your pastor. I'm, I'm going to read about 30 different passages, we'll turn to about 8 different ones tonight. But when we are studying doctrine together, we need to have understand where we're getting it from, which is not me. Uh, not, not some writer, it's from God. So we're going to look at that together tonight. John chapter 10, and begin reading in verse 27. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. It's a great passage. It teaches a truth that many never grasp, and the truth is, if you are a believer, you are eternally secure in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, not only saving us, but that God clearly laying things out for us, God, where there's no doubt and what you've given us, no doubt, in your truths. And God, I pray tonight that you would just strengthen us in our uh, salvation. <coughs> God, I pray that you would help us to, when those doubts come or when it is questioned, uh, when people ask questions, God, that you would just strengthen our faith tonight and strengthen our knowledge of you tonight. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. About 15 years ago, I was traveling for the Bible College, and we went to San Francisco, and I saw the Golden State Bridge. It's something I'd always wanted to see uh, growing up, and I still remember just how incredible it was to see the size of, of that bridge, the size of each and every strand that it took to make that bridge. And when they built the Golden Gate Bridge, 23 workers fell to their deaths at the start of it. And after those 23 deaths, I don't know why it took 23 for them to decide to do this, but they put up a net under the bridge to catch any others that would fall to try to help save them. And after that was in place, only a handful of men fell. The rest of the project and those that did fall were safe and the work was completed in record time, way, uh, way quicker than they expected it to be and with record safety. And you may wonder why it was completed that quick. I don't think it takes uh, uh, too smart of a person to figure that out, but the workers could concentrate on their jobs when they weren't worrying about dying. They didn't have to worry about what could possibly happen in just one misstep that safety brought results to them and to be a productive christian it's helpful for us to know that we are absolutely secure in jesus in our salvation you know if we are to do a great work for him we need to be able to focus on the task at hand we need to be able to focus on what it is he's told us to do instead of worrying each and every day we live about our future 
that type of doubt and that type of fear does not come from God. We understand that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And anytime doubts may come, anytime that fear may come, it cripples us and, some, and prevents us sometimes from doing what it is that God would have us to do because of, the, of how much it may consume the life of a Christian. The, the, the doubt of knowledge people may have on eternal security also may prevent some from ever being saved. You know, some people would fear that they would not have the ability to keep up the Christian life. You know, the truth is they don't. The truth is you don't. But those people, when they don't know that, they don't understand as well that it is Christ that lives within the believer that makes it possible to live how he has instructed us to live. But according to his word, we understand that the believer, the Christian, has eternal security. And, and that means it can't be lost. It can't go away. It's not going to fail. So who's a believer? What, what, what makes a person a Christian? What makes a person saved? That's someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, not themselves, not their works, not any other man, but Jesus and Jesus alone and what he did for them for salvation. If you look in John chapter 3, we would see Jesus telling Nicodemus what it took for a man to go to heaven, and he said what? You must be born again. So every individual needs to have a point in their life where they were not only born physically into this world as a baby, but also born spiritually in Jesus. And beyond that point, they have the divine nature, as it says there in 2 Peter chapter 1. And that person, when they are saved, when they are a believer, when they have been truly born again, can never be lost again. But I think all of us have had a conversation or two in our life or maybe have read something or heard somebody say something that is taken out of context to make us think or the, uh, to hear a person's opinion that salvation is something that can be lost. And there's many different verses they will take us, take you to, or use in that. One of them would be John chapter 15, verse 6, when it says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. It can be taken away. It can be dissolved if you don't abide in God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which is preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And then they look at this one, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. You're saved if you remember what you're supposed to do and do it. 1 John chapter 3, another one they'll use. In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Do you agree with me tonight that Christians sin? Yes. And there are times in each of our lives since salvation that we have sinned. That we may have doubted a brother or sister in Christ. Or we may have walked for a particular day in a way that we shouldn't have walked. When we look at those passages, those passages are not telling you you can lose your salvation. Those passages deal with fruit that should be there with salvation. They do not deal with eternal security. If you are saved, there is going to be fruit that is evidence of that. And, and yes, you may fail from time to time, but there will still be evidence of, salva of salvation if there was truly salvation in the first place. There's other passages that people may use in this argument that, can, that reference that fact that you can lose or that you lose a reward. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am minister. 
He, he said before that, in this body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and approvable in his sight. He goes, if you do right, you'll be presented uh, blameless. Another one, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. It says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Many people may take that one verse and, and say, if they fail, then it's gone. But if you look at the whole context, that was Paul speaking of his ministry and his opportunity to minister and to be the missionary God had him to be. It's possible for a person who is saved to end up being disapproved in their service to God. Another thing that happens is the fellowship between God and a Christian may be hurt because of sin. First John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. A believer may be chastised or disciplined because of falling into sin. And a verse they may use that says you can lose your salvation, you aren't just chastised, maybe John chapter 15 verse 2 that says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. There's sometimes purging needs to be done in the life of a Christian to help them grow in Christ and be the, what God would have them to be. That doesn't mean they are taken out of the, names, the, the book of life. It means there's chastisement that might come. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's reference to the Lord's Supper. If it's, if it's not taken with the right heart, with the right mindset, with a clean heart before God, there is punishment for that. The punishment is not losing your salvation. This is not evidence of losing salvation. These verses I read, it's evidence of being punished because God expects certain things from a Christian. Well, what about the passage people use when they say someone is fallen from grace? What do you have for that one? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. This is a phrase that is completely taken out of context that many people have thrown around loosely. And they think this one settles, settles it all. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is, that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. If we look at this in its proper context, we understand this doesn't refer to a Christian losing their salvation, but falling from a standard of grace and losing the true liberty which brought that person to Christ in the first place by living in legalism of the law. If they think their legalism, what they're doing is earning them something, they've forgotten the whole reason they were saved. It's a fall from a standard of life. From a certain mindset, not from salvation. So much of the difficulty that people have in getting past these passages is that when they say people can lose their salvation is because they take these verses and stand them alone, not in proper context. So if somebody ever gives you a verse or uses a verse on you, why don't you read everything around it? Read the whole chapter. And, and, I, and, I, and I believe most of the time the Lord will reveal to you that that is blasphemy. That it is wrong. 
But when it all comes down to it, the answer to the insecurity or the security of a believer rests in this one question. Who does the saving? Who does the saving? Man or God? Salvation is the work of God, not man. If man does the saving, it's very insecure. But if God does the saving, it's eternally secure. Those of us tonight that are saved, let's look at a few reasons why. There's, there's so many things, and I, I studied for a couple days this week on this, trying to decide what to share, what not to. Did a lot of reading, but I have, I think, seven things for us tonight, seven promises, seven facts that we find in the Word of God that can help us and give us reasons to never doubt why we are saved. The first one we find in Hebrews chapter 6. It is God's promises stand forever. The first reason you are eternally saved is that God's promises stand forever. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, it says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we, may have, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. If God has said something, it is truth. If God has said something, if God has promised something, if God has guaranteed something, we can take it as truth because we have a God who cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. If he broke his promise, he'd be a liar. But if he keeps his promises, as we know he does, he never lies. So what are some, what are some of God's promises regarding salvation? We can look at Romans chapter 8. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature can separate, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Bible says God loves you, and the Bible says if any, whoever believes in him and what he did for you shall have everlasting life. Can anything break that love? No. Because God has told us he loved us, and he's also told us nothing can separate us from his love. Shall not perish means shall not perish. Uh, there's many, many people have favorite words in the Bible. I think my favorite word in the Bible is the word shall. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might, not may, shall. It's a definite thing. His promises are guarantees that we look in Romans chapter 4. We'll use this again in a little bit, but it says, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. If God has promised us something, we can take it to the bank. We can trust it. The promises of God who never lies and who never breaks his promises, meaning, let's just look at salvation, is not based on your faithfulness. It's based on God's faithfulness. And what does he promise? Everlasting life to those who believe in him for it. If you believe the Bible... You can believe eternal security. Second thing, God's love will outlast any wrong we have done or will do. Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Let's look at that together. Not only do God's promises stand forever, but his love will outlast anything we could ever do. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If he loved us enough to save us while we were enemies, don't you think he will continue to love you when you're his child? You say, well, you don't understand what I've done. I've made a lot of mistakes since I was saved. I've had a lot of bitterness in my heart since I was saved. I, I haven't taken God seriously in a, in a long time since in, in past salvation. When you say that, you're making it more about you than him. He did the saving. His love's enough. His love will outlast any wrong. Second, secondly, the third thing. Another reason is because of God's continuance. God's continuance. We don't have to turn here, but Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will never stop. Got a couple questions for you. Who began the work? God. Who will complete the work? God. So he brought you under conviction. And then he brought you to a place where you received him. And he's promised you that he will take you to heaven one day because of that. He always finishes what he starts. John chapter 5 verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We were given eternal life when we were saved. As soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were given eternal life. I'm thankful that it wasn't a 10-year life. I'm thankful that it wasn't like life insurance where it covers you for a little while. Then if you, you go past that point, it's no longer good for you. It's not a 10-year life. It's not an, an, an until I sin life. It's eternal life. If everlasting, think about it this way. If everlasting life can be saved, then it's been given the wrong name. If that's the case, it should be called temporary life or life until you sin. But God calls it eternal or everlasting life. And everlasting life is just that, everlasting. He finishes what he starts, and I'm thankful for that. Fourth thing. Romans chapter 8, look there, Romans chapter 8. God's predestination. It's a scary word. <laughs> God's predestination. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and who he justified, them he also glorified. Does that mean he's chosen exactly who's going to be saved? No. 
Those who receive Christ are predestined to go to heaven and to be just like Jesus. He started it, he saw it, he planned it, he predestined it, he brought it to pass and will bring it to pass. It's impossible to be saved and then to be lost again. Because if that happened, it would destroy the predestined plan of God. When you are saved, God already sees you as being in heaven. If, if man or Satan could change that, it would mean that God was no longer omniscient or omnipotent. He would, he would cease to exist. That which is settled in eternity can never be undone because of our omniscient, omnipotent God. Next one. I think I have more than seven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Look at this one. God's predestination. This one is our perfection. Our perfection. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, his death on the cross, his resurrection, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He made you perfect by his sacrifice. Not perfect for a time, because that's not perfect. Perfect forever. He didn't make a down payment on your sanctification. He didn't say, well, you're sanctified right here, but you got to maintain it yourself. He didn't do that. He paid the debt in full, and he purchased you forever with his blood. As a Christian, you did not get a, a, a fresh start. You got a new life. Not a new beginning. You got a new nature. We are, and I, I want to tell you tonight, I'm not saying that we are perfect in the flesh. We are only perfect in the soul. And if we step out of line, we will be chastened. But we will continue to be viewed as perfect by our Father. What an incredible truth that is. Look at, look at Romans chapter 4. We need to turn here. I wasn't planning on it, but I want you to read this one. Romans 4 verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. They're covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. We are not saved by good works, and we cannot lose it by bad ones. We are saved through the imputed righteousness of Jesus, and we have been declared perfect. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just go, yeah, go a little bit over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll have you stop turning here at some point when we're done, probably. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Next verse is my favorite. And such were some of you, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Because of what he's done, he sees you as perfect. And he will continue to see you that way. Because of the blood of his son. 
The next one, our position in Christ. Another reason we know we are eternally secure is because of our position in him. What does 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When a person receives Christ, he becomes a new creation. They literally become a part of Christ. And the only way a believer could lose his relationship with, with the Father is if the Son of the Father did that first. We are, we are tied at the hip with Jesus. The only way you could lose your salvation is if Jesus ceased to be perfect, and that is an impossibility. So as we are in him and we, we have position in him, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are saved by grace, we are justified, we are sanctified. Those things can't be undone. We are forever his child. So when we, when we become Christians, our new position is in the family of God. We are adopted sons and daughters. And it is impossible spiritually, just as it would be impossible spiritually, to reverse someone's birth. When you came into this world, you automatically had a father and a mother. Even if they gave you up for adoption and you never knew who they were, they were biologically your father and your mother. If you grew up with them like many, many or most of us had, and in your teenage years you rebelled against your parents and you told them you wished you were never their child and you, and you wished you'd never see them again and, and you did some horrible things to them and you never saw them again your entire life, they would still be your parents. Even if you took another name and they wrote you out of their will and they refused to see you again, they are still your parents. It's exactly the same when we are part of the family of God. It cannot be reversed cannot be reversed. Your position will remain the same as his child. And the last one, we move very quickly tonight. God's power never runs out. His power, the power of salvation will never cease to be all powerful. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the, what, power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That power will never stop. You will be kept in it. If God be for us, who can be against us? Not even ourselves. His power is more. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, as far out as you could possibly think, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. There's nothing that can reach beyond what he can do. God's power is greater than any other person, any other individual, greater than any sin, and it is that power that keeps us safe. And if Satan could get one believer out of the hand of God, he would have them all, wouldn't he? He can't. He cannot. If we look back at our text. We haven't looked at it since we read it at the beginning, but John chapter, 20, John chapter 10, in verse 28, it said, let me read it to you here. 
There it is. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. In verse 28, we see a word for never used four different times if you study the Greek there. The first one, ume, means not at all, by no means, in no case, never. Another word means in, in no time, place, or purpose. Another one ranges from male to female, every, every individual. And the last one meant never perpetually or eternally. So we can look at verse 28 and we could give every part of the definition in that verse and a rendering of that from the Greek would say, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall not at all, by any means, in any case, in any place, at any time, for any purpose, whether they be male or female, perpetually or eternally ever perish. That covers it all. There's absolutely nothing that could overtake the power of God, nothing that the power of God could not overtake to prevent us from going to heaven with him if we are truly saved. The word perish is another interesting one in that passage. It literally means that they can never destroy themselves. There's nothing you could do to take it away, nothing you could do to hurt your, your opportunity, your privilege of having a place in eternity with Jesus. So he will make sure that every Christian arrives home safely. I think tonight I'm, everyone in here is a believer. I think I've talked to most of you or heard testimony and most of you that we all know we are saved. And if that is you, rejoice because you're eternally secure in him. His promises never fail. His love outlasts. He will always continue. Heaven is predestined for you. You are perfect in him. You have an unchanging position, and his power will never run out. So if you ever have doubts, I think if we were honest, all of us have maybe doubted this once or twice in our life. Stop allowing the devil to kick you around that way. You're a child of God, and nothing can change that. And when the devil tempts you, when the devil brings that fear that we say it's not from God, it's only from him, remember those truths. And because it's so good, and because it's so secure, be determined to share it with others. I'm thankful for eternal security. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, for the doctrine of eternal security.